Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Good morning. My name is Eric. Good to be one of the pastors here. Just want to say thanks for joining us today for our special message, Relationship Rehab. I grew up in Maple Grove here uh, in this area and then went to North Central University downtown for college, worked at a couple churches in the Twin Cities before getting married. And then Chris and I went out to Colorado, went to work at a church out there. And one of my responsibilities out in Colorado was working with teenagers. I loved it. But a couple years ago, I was taking a group of middle school kids up to church camp up in the mountains. And you know how middle school kids can be. You know, oftentimes when they get in their, their vans for church camp, they're chugging energy sodas, they're chugging soda, whatever it might be. And so before long, of course, you hear that, you know, I need to go to the bathroom. And it's like, okay, fine. So we find this small little gas station up in the mountains. We pull in there and all the kids do their bathroom breaks. And there was like a caravan of probably like, four different minivans driving up to camp up in the mountains. And so we got all the kids through. It, it was fine. And uh, I was in the lead minivan. And so I was getting ready to pull out of the gas station to go up to camp. And that's when I saw in my rear view mirror, one of my youth leaders driving my mother-in-law's minivan back up into one of the other vans that our youth leader was driving. And it was like, how did this happen? I'm in charge here, and one of my youth leaders backs up into the other one. I'm like, ah. So, you know, I'm a pastor, but, you know, I'm still human, and so there are definitely some choice words going on in my head, but I'm holding back, and so it's like, okay, let's figure out what's going on. We got to duct tape the side view mirror back on, duct tape their rear uh, taillights back together, get it all good to go, and, you know, I know the other youth leader, they felt just horrible, and you know, what I was thinking was like, what were you thinking? Why were you not looking behind you to make sure that you could back up clearly? And then the other person, I'm like, why did you park there? Why did you park directly behind one of our other youth leaders? But I held my tongue and thought, let's just get back to camp. Then I'll have to make a phone call to my boss, the lead pastor, and tell him everything that happened. We had this accident. Two minivans got damaged. And so I'm thinking about this. Okay, got to get back to camp. Got to get back to camp. And uh, so I, I started backing up and I'm thinking about, all, you know, what, what are we going to do? And all of a sudden I heard that Worst sound in that world, right? Just that crunch. And I realized I had backed my minivan into one of those poles, kind of fence things that protect the gas pumps. And the back of my minivan just kind of crumpled like uh, a dead frog. Like it was just like, oh my word. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is the gas station from hell. Like what is going on? We have three damaged vehicles. And that's when I noticed the youth leader who had backed in the other person she got out of her minivan with a giant smile on her face and walked over to me. And she knew that I was judging her for backing the other person. Uh, and that's when she came up to me, wrapped her arms around me, and uh, gave me a big hug. And I looked down at Kristen, my new wife, and was like, yes, babe, I'm so sorry for judging you, for backing up into this other youth leader who did park in a very weird spot. But haven't we all had those moments where something happens unexpectedly, and maybe we think, how could you do that? <laughs> Or, just out of nowhere, we get into some kind of accident, some kind of collision that we were not expecting. You know, I think all of us have been in situations like that. 
And what happens is life causes damage to our relationships. Relationships are hard. We think or do stupid things. We blame and point the finger. We think we're different. And, and so we have to work at relationships. That's what we're going to be talking about today. This topic is so, so critical. You know, judging by what stats you read, it says, you know, roughly 50% of marriages or roughly one-third of all people will experience divorce. And just think about that. Even if the odds are better than one-half, if the odds are one-third, if you had a one-in-three chance of walking out from here to your car and getting attacked by a bear, wouldn't you do something to protect yourself, right? Like, those odds are, are pretty high. So it's like, man, relationships are under attack. I think back in the last five, six years of our church, five years ago, I had a guest preacher come up here and he wrapped up our series in Genesis and, and here's a guy who's following Jesus, walking with Jesus, and what happens? Not long after that, his relationship blows up, he leaves his wife and kids, and now he's with someone else. I think about small group leaders in our church who led our church, who are faithful, no longer together, dating other people. Like, this is real issues. Chris and I have had multiple people in our small group, in our house, week after week, their marriage has ended. That people have made different choices. This isn't some academic exercise. This is real life. The stakes are high. Why are relationships so hard? Why is it that even though we have social media and smartphones and it seems like we're connected more than ever, yet so many of us, we still struggle with feelings of loneliness and feelings of not being fulfilled in our relationships, not being happy. Well, the good news is that you and I aren't alone in those feelings. We aren't alone. In fact, people all throughout history have struggled because relationships are hard, amen? We're gonna see this morning that God, though, addressed the topic of relationships from the very, very beginning. If you have a Bible, I wanna encourage you to open those. We're gonna be in the very beginning. Uh, we're gonna encourage people to bring their Bibles, to open them up. Kim's gonna be in the back. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and uh, grab one from her. But at the very beginning of your Bible, uh, one of your first pages is gonna be in Genesis chapter one. So you can turn to Genesis chapter one. If you got your Bible or your smartphone. We're gonna read out of there uh, in just about a minute. I'm gonna pray. Uh, but today's message, uh, if you like fruit or naked people, this is the sermon for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are here in this place. So we just pray right now, God, that you would be with us to lead and guide us and give us open ears to hear from your word. God, let us just receive you. And God, I pray you would continue to work miracles in our lives and in our relationships. In your name we pray. Amen. Genesis 1, 26 through 27. Then God said, let us, Father, Son, Spirit, make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the very beginning, we see in the creation account of Genesis chapter 1, that God speaks everything into existence. And yet, humanity, we'll see in the beginning of chapter 2, is slightly different, that God literally got his hands dirty in the creation of man. You are handcrafted by God. Your life is sacred. You were made on purpose, for purpose. Here at Mosaic, we believe that every individual is created in the image of God. You have dignity and value and worth, whether you're unborn, whether you're on death row, whether you are an immigrant, whether you're male or female, 
whether you have special needs, whatever it might be, every human life has dignity and value. Amen? Because we are created in the image of God. We are all unique. Just some of us are a little more unique than others, right, Ryan? But God created you to be the person you are today. And God did that because he has great affection for you. God created you in the beginning to have a relationship with him. And that is the very first thing we have to get right or all our relationships are not going to be where they're supposed to be. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down that our relationship goals, first one is that God will be my first priority. We have to start there to realize that we were created to have a relationship with our creator. We, 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 we did a message a couple years back where Christina baked me a great cake and on the top, we've got it number one and then your spouse and your kids and activities after that. And we say, don't crowd your cake. God has to be one. And in two weeks, we're gonna talk about parenting and, and, and just how to invest in kids. But at the end of the day, you have to get your priorities right. It has to be God, then your spouse, then your kids. And the problem happens when things get out of whack. God created us to have a relationship with to be known by him, to know him. That is our first priority. All right, back to the garden. We're going to go jump ahead to Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God creates this amazing paradise. It's all good. He creates man. He gives man a purpose. Name the animals. Subdue creation. It's all good, but then he says something. For the first time, he says, it's not good. The man is alone, which actually lays out some pretty radical implications. In paradise, Adam was lonely. But why? He was in paradise. He had great food. He had power. He had responsibility, comfort, beauty. The earth was his personal CrossFit gym. He could go wherever he wanted to. He had everything, and yet God says it was not good. Adam had a terrific prayer life. There was no sin between him and God. He, had, uh, uh, there's, uh, he walked with God. He could talk with God. And yet still, Adam is unhappy. See, I think it's staggering to think that on purpose, God created us so that we have such a deep need for other people that not even paradise could satisfy us. Not even a perfect quiet time or the best prior time, or the best journaling ever completely, can completely satisfy us. Are you ready for this? I'm going to say something radical that some of you may think is heretical, but God designed us with such a strong need for relationships that not even God by himself can satisfy all our deepest longings. Now that sounds very radical, and this is mind-boggling, but why would God do that? Because God created us to have relationships with more than just him, but with others. The meaning of life is relationships. There are so many things that God wants to show us that can be only be seen through other humans. Paradise wasn't paradise without love, without friendship, without community, without relationships. What are the implications of this? Well, the implications, I think, is that we look at the world around us and they say, hey, you want a life of meaning? Work those extra long hours. I can't tell you how many people have come through Mosaic who have chased the promise of a better promotion. So many people move from California to Minnesota, from Chicago to Minnesota, because it's the next step in climbing the corporate ladder. And they think the world is saying, hey, if you want to get to the top, if you want a life of meaning, you have to put relationships in the back burner. You have to keep moving around, put your kids in different schools, move to different states to take that next job, to go to the next place. 
Relationships have to be on the back burner. Friendships don't have time for communion with others. Work long hours. That's the meaning to life. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says paradise wasn't paradise without friends. Paradise wasn't paradise without relationships. The Bible says don't you dare to try to build a meaningful life without personal relationships as a priority. See, you and I can't become who we're supposed to be, who we're created to be without community. A couple quotes I found helpful this week. The opposite of loneliness is not togetherness, it's intimacy. How true is that? If you're felt in a crowd of people, in a group of people, even just in a, in, in a room, maybe with just a handful of people, and you're still feeling lonely? Because it's not just about being together physically. It's intimacy, which is means being known. Intimacy is the capacity to be rather weird with someone and finding that's okay with them. I love that. It's being like, yeah, I do love alliteration, Ryan, and I'm proud of it. Coffee and connection, disciples and donuts. I love it. Oh, you said it backwards. I did. <laughs> Next time. And Jane Austen writes this in Sensibility. It is not time or opportunity that is to determine intimacy. It is disposition alone. Seven years, some of us have been in church together for seven years, would be insufficient to make some people acquainted with each other, and seven days are more than enough for others. What does that mean? We have to be intentional. Community, intimacy, relationships doesn't just happen by accident. We talked about this really last Sunday, that our spiritual growth, unintentional spiritual formation is not working. We have to have intentional spiritual formation to say, what are the practices, what are the habits that are going to shape my life and my relationship with Jesus? The same is true in our relationships. You have to be intentional. Simple proximity, just being around other people is not enough. And when I'm talking about intimacy and relationships, I want to be very, very clear, I'm not talking just about marriage. For those of you who are single, I want you to know that singleness is a gift. Jesus was single. The Apostle Paul was single. Roughly 27% of our adults at Mosaic are single. Here's how Paul writes it. You can stay in Genesis in your Bible. I'm going to flip ahead to uh, 1 Corinthians. Paul writes it this way to the Corinthians. He says, but if you do get married, it's not a sin. There you go, Ethan Madeline. Just see, you're not sinning, so that's good when you're getting, getting married in a couple weeks. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. You will. And I'm trying to spare you those problems. It's not too late. You can back out, Madeline. It's okay. <laughs> I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman is no longer married or has never been married, can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Paul is making it very, very clear. Single people are not second-class citizens. Amen? If you, have, if you are single and you have no desire to be married, that is completely okay. Now, however, for those who would like to be married for the first time or remarried again, this is your goal. Maybe you want to write this down. 
that I'm going to seek the one, God, while preparing for my two, my second priority. Use this time of singleness to be the kind of person that the kind of person you're looking for is looking for. If you're looking to marry someone who loves God, who's passionate about God, then develop that same passion and hunger for God while you're single to attract the kind of person that you're looking for. Pursue God. Use this time intentionally in your single years to really let God grow you to the person that he wants you to be. And while you're waiting, you're going to seek after God. Seek after the one. So that then when your two comes, you're, you are ready. In other words, if you aren't married, you're hoping to be married, you're going to be seeking after God while you're preparing for two. For those of us who are married, what does Paul say? He says, a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. And a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. We have to be intentional and thinking about our two when we are married. And so our second relationship goal for those of us who are married is I'm going to intentionally pursue my two. We have to be intentional in pursuing relationships. Now, I think this goes for your spouse, but also this can go for your best friend, for close relationships. We all have those friends that, you know, we, we don't talk to for years, and it's great because we can catch up, and it's like no time has passed. However, how much more valuable are those friendships where that person's intentionally pursuing you? Hey, let's hang out. What about next Friday? Hey, checking in. How are you doing? Let's go for a walk. Can we grab breakfast? Can we grab a meal? Hey, I'm praying for you. We need to be intentional about pursuing the people in our lives that matter most. For those of us who are married, that's God and then our spouse. But for all of us, that's the friendships and relationships that we care about. The key, how do we get intentional? How do we have intimacy in our close relationships? Well, the key, I think, is in Genesis 2, 25. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They were naked and not ashamed. Here's a relationship truth, number one. Intimacy is being seen and known as the person you truly are. As the person you truly are. You can be weird to someone, and it's okay. Intimacy, sometimes people say it's into me see. You are seeing the real me. I'm laying down the masks I put up in front of others. There are times when my calling, my vocation is I'm Pastor Eric and I'm discipling, I'm leading small groups, I'm preaching, I'm, I'm doing my role. I love that and that's what I was called to do and created to do, I believe. But there are times when I get to have friends and they can just see me as I truly am. It's not that I'm wearing a mask, but I can just let down the, a guard and just, ah, oh, that's so good. So you always have those people, hopefully, that you can just be you, loved for who you are. That's intimacy. It's not just a marriage thing. It's close friendships into me, see who I am, my insecurities, my flaws, my brokenness. And I'm seeing the same thing in you, and that's okay. You are loved and accepted for who you are. You don't have to earn it. That's intimacy. Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. There was no barrier between them and God. There was no barrier between them and each other and no barriers between them and creation. 
Shalom is this Hebrew word of peace. It means they have perfect peace with God, with each other, and creation. And the hope that we look forward to is one day God will bring perfect shalom again. Perfect intimacy with God and others and creation. And that's the key to relationships, though. They were transparent. They didn't need to spin or they weren't afraid of exposure. They were completely at ease themselves. They had a stable identity. They knew who they were. How do we get that kind of intimacy that we're created for? Number two, purity paves the way to intimacy. Purity. They were pure of heart, mind, and soul. If you're single, how do you pave the way for future intimacy? It's pursuing God and pursuing purity. Now, we can have in-depth conversation what that looks like for each person, but that's the goal. What are you watching, listening to? What are you doing? I think we all know those things that make us feel shame, feel like we have to hide. The goal is to live a pure life. We can have intimacy with others that we don't have to hide. Purity paves the way to intimacy. In the garden, they were perfectly pure. They had this amazing intimacy with each other, with God and creation. So God creates Adam and Eve. Everything is good. They're eating fruit. The sun is out. Everybody's naked. I picture like some good R&B music is going on, right? Life is good. That's the way we're created to be. But then, Genesis 3, everything goes south. Sin and death and Satan enter the picture. Let's look at Genesis 3, verse 1 through 3. Now the serpent, in the book of Revelation, tells us that's Satan or the devil, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And that's not what God said. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now she's adding to God's commandments. See, God created him in this perfect garden And he said, hey, eat of all these trees except for this one tree. Don't eat of that. Now, we might wish for a garden without any dangerous trees, but that's not life. See, the tree is not inherently bad, I don't believe. Everything God created is good. Therefore, I believe it's more about timing. There's nothing wrong with driving a car, but Mariah, my four-year-old, driving a car would be a big problem, right? Sex is a wonderful creation of God, but there's an appropriate time for that activity. And I think rather than God putting this tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden just purely as a test, I think it's more in keeping with God's character to understand that when the time was right, Adam and Eve would have been able to eat of it. But what's interesting is Satan doesn't come in and attack the law or the will of God or the holiness of God. He doesn't say, you know, God doesn't care what you do. It's all good. Just, you know, he doesn't deny the existence of God. He doesn't deny the law of God, the will of God, the holiness of God, but what he does is he denies the goodness of God. God is holding out on you. You can't trust him. There's something better for you that he doesn't want for you to have. I think so often we give him that same temptation. Our tempter, our flesh, the world says, hey, God is holding out on you. There's more. Why would you want to have a relationship with only one sexual relationship with one person the rest of your life? No, 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 sleep around. That's much, much better. You've been married for 10 years. You deserve to go, you know, have an affair over here. Hey, you and your wife haven't been intimate for a while because you just had a baby. You know, it's okay. Go look at some porn. It's it's fine. You're not hurting anyone. Because the devil comes in and 
says, hey, God's holding out on you. He's denying the goodness of God. Verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil, he's holding out on you. So the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. That's when Adam said, someone has to wear the plants in the family. That's a really bad preacher joke. I told that one to Ryan, I think this week, and I was like, I love this joke. But seriously, what does shame do? Shame is Satan's tool of connecting the act to our identity. Shame is Satan's way of saying, hey, you did bad, therefore you are bad. You lied, therefore you are a liar. You cheated, therefore you are a cheater. That's what shame does. That is what Satan does. And what we see is, because of that shame, what do we do? We want to hide. Adam and Eve, they clothe themselves in leaves because now for the first time, they're feeling shame. Our relationship truth number three, secrecy is the enemy to intimacy. Secrecy is the enemy to intimacy. I believe this so, so strongly, that unhealthy things grow in the dark. You have to drag them into light, man. We have people in our church who admit their need, their brokenness, their addiction, and what do they need to do? Go to AA or treatment facility to help because you're dragging it out of the darkness into the light and telling people, hey, I'm an addict. I need help in this. You have a secret struggle with sin and pornography. Most likely, you're not going to handle that on your own. Unhealthy things grow in the dark. You have to bring it into the light. Gossip grows in the dark. Lies grow in the dark. So Adam and Eve, they're hiding in the shadows. They're hiding in the dark. What does that do? That cuts them off from their intimacy with God, with each other. Because secrecy is the enemy to intimacy. If you're married, your, your spouse should have passwords to all your stuff. They should be able to get into your phone, check your text messages, check your DMs, all that stuff. Because secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Because secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman that you gave. <laughs> wow. So audacious to be with me. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And they're just playing the blame game right now. But this is like, we see this in our kids, right? Your kid does something wrong and you go to check on your kids and they're like hiding behind like a couch. Like, you can't see me, you can't see me, you know? That's what Adam and Eve are doing. They're, they're hiding from their creator. And it's dumb, but sin makes us dumb, Amen. What should Adam have done? He should have run to God. He should have repented to Shuba, turned from the way he's going back to his father. But what do we so often do when we sin too? We hide, shame, we cover up. But here's the good news. It's that God pursued Adam and Eve. He went looking for them. He knew where they were, but he's calling out to them. He's pursuing them. The man sins, the woman sins, they run from God, Does God just let them be? No. 
See, God is the one who pursues us. And just as God is calling out for Adam, Jesus, God's son, he calls out to each and every one of us. He says, hey, you don't need to hide in secrecy and sin and shame and guilt. And God is reaching out to each and every one of us today. The man should repent and said he blames, he justifies, he makes excuses. He's like, God, everything started off great. You gave me this woman. She was naked. She's cooking me good food. And now she's serving me food recommended by a snake. She's putting clothes on. Like, this is a bad deal. This is not what I signed up for. And he starts blaming. He starts pointing the finger at everyone else. And what does Eve do? She does the same thing. And so often we just blame others. Hey, you know what? Uh, this isn't my fault. Look at society. Look at the way I was treated. Look at all these other things. I'm a victim. But what do we need to do? Instead of blaming, we have to go to God. Let him do the deep work that only he can do. We have to take things out of the shard, out of the shadows into light. Our third relationship goal is to say, I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. You know what? I'm going to promise to confide in you and not hide from you. Because secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. You're never going to find healing in the dark. Shame grows in the dark. Healing happens in the light. And what do Adam and Eve need? They're trying to hide. They're trying to cover themselves up with leaves because they've realized they need some kind of covering. Their sin and shame has left them feeling naked and ashamed. And if you've ever felt that way, you've ever felt like you've messed up and you need to cover up, that is the right feeling. But what we need is spiritual covering. See, Jesus is the promised one. When God says, hey, you know what, Eve, a, a seed of you is coming that is going to stomp on the head of the serpent once and for all. And that is Jesus. Jesus was crucified naked so that his nakedness could be your covering of your sin and guilt and shame. It was the ultimate humiliation. Why would he do that for us? To pay for our sins. See, Jesus' nakedness can be your covering. You don't have to feel like you can cover up. You can come to Jesus and let what he did on the cross pay the price. You can bring your guilt, your shame, your messiness, your addiction, your struggles to God, and, and, and he welcomes all that. And the Bible tells us there's this great exchange. It doesn't make sense. that We bring him our guilt, our shame, all the ways we mess up, all the ways we blame others. We give that to Jesus, and then he gives us what the Bible calls his righteousness, his covering, his forgiveness. And what happens through that then? We have perfect intimacy again with God, and then we confess our sins, and we have intimacy with each other. But this side of heaven, that's an ongoing process. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but what happens is we sin, we mess up, oh, we come to God, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. It's not about a positional thing. It's about a relational thing of saying, I feel like there's something between us, God, and I need to confess. I've been letting my temper get the best of me. God, I need to confess. I've been, I've been abusing food or, or I've been abusing alcohol or, or other substances. Just forgive me, God, and just help me. This happens in our relationships with each other, in our marriages, in our closest friendships. It's saying, hey, hey, I sinned against you. I'm sorry. You know, I let my temper get the best of me. Can you forgive me? And when we do that, then we experience the true intimacy that we were created to have. 
Let's go through these truths one more time. The three relationship truths. Number one, intimacy is being seen and known as the person you truly are. Doesn't that sound good? To feel like you don't have to hide? That you can be loved and accepted for who you truly are? God gives that invitation today. That if you don't have a relationship with him, he says, hey, you are welcome to come. You can be known and loved as you truly are. You don't have to hide. You don't have to clean yourselves up before coming to God. You are welcome right here. As a church, this is the kind of church we, tr- we strive to be, right? And no matter what, church, no matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you make, hey, we're going to love you. We're going to accept you. Now, sometimes you may need to ask for forgiveness, but that's what our desire is, to have intimacy with each other. Purity paves the way to intimacy. If there's stuff in your life that you haven't dealt with, please find someone. Bring it to the light. Secret shame, addiction, whatever it might be. In the last five years or so, we've seen in the church a reckoning of leaders with secret sin in their life coming exposed and come to light. And I believe God is intentionally doing this, specifically right now with pastors and church leaders, to expose secret sins. But I think for all of us, what is hidden will come to light eventually. So if there's something in your life that you are hiding, bring it to light to have a life of purity. You don't have to hide. You don't have to remember what story am I telling? Because that paves the way to have that intimacy and that relationship. And secrecy is the enemy to, to, to intimacy. Those dark things are keeping hidden. It's keeping a wall between you and others. What are our goals? That God's going to be my first priority. If you don't have a relationship with God, you can start a relationship with God today. God wants to know you. He loves you so, so much. And then we're going to pursue our two. But this, this one is so important. I, I want to I confess something. Um, Kristen and I have not been the best at having devotional time, the two of us, since we've been together. We've been married almost 17 years now and dating for 19. And it's just something in our relationship that hasn't worked the best, of sitting down and doing a couple's devotional, reading the Bible together. That's a great goal to have. But I think... More important than just saying, hey, we want this couple's time of of pursuing God together, is that you individually are making sure that you are focused on Jesus and working towards him. Because here's the the reality. As both of you focus on that one, you will grow together in intimacy. As you both pursue the Father, as as you read about Jesus in in the Gospels, and you you say, hey, God, I want to be like Jesus. I want to do the things that Jesus did. I want to go where he went. I want to love like he did. As you pray, Holy Spirit, fill me, renew me. As two friends, as as two spouses are doing that, you're going to grow closer to God. So I just want to let you off the hook. If you're having trouble, like finding time for you and your spouse to wake up and do devotions or prayer time together, that's a great goal to have. But it's more important you individually are pursuing God. I think something I, I, I'm learning in my 40s now is that there are certain spiritual habits and certain spiritual practices that are really, really good, like kind of just individually. There's spiritual, certain spiritual practices that are really great, you know, in, in smaller groups and then as a large community, you know? And so it's figuring out what works best for you as you pursue God. But number two, I'm going to intentionally pursue my two. You know, I was thinking about this. We're, Chris and I were talking, like, we're having a tough time finding babysitters. And so, you know, we, it's hard to get date nights a lot of times. But that's something, if I'm going to pursue my two, I've got to find time for that. So I was talking with Aaron and his wife, Lindsay. And I was like, hey, let's swap kids. We both have four kids. You know, that's uh, a lot. But, hey, why don't you come over to our house, bring your four kids over, 
and they'll watch all eight. We'll go out, and then next week, let's swap. We'll watch all eight kids. You guys go out. If you're in a community group, try something like that, where you're swapping childcare. Um, you know, what do you need to do to pursue your two? Again, maybe that's waking up early and doing devotions together. Maybe it's having a date night. Maybe it's just intentionally after your kids are in bed or, or after work is put away, you're, you're, you're saying, hey, how are we going to grow in intimacy, the two of us? And, um, and, and so much more, uh, I, I can help you in that, tips for that, but that's, that's our goal. And then the third one is I promise to confide in you and not hide from you. Dark things grow, ugly things grow in the dark. And so I'm going to continue to confide in you. And this, this is all relationships. But what's so easy is just to have surface-level relationships where we're not confiding our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our insecurities. We're hiding those parts of who we are. But if we truly want intimacy, if we truly want to rehab our relationships, whether that's with your spouse, a family member, with God, with others, your community group, to say, hey, I promise I'm going to open up. I'm going to get better at that. Because it's going to take some work to learn how to open up. If you've remained emotionally closed off for most of your life, and that's the kind of home you grew up in, it's not just going to be a switch you flip. And so what are some other practical things? Get into therapy. Get into counseling. We believe in the power of the Spirit. We also believe in the power of counseling. Get some good books. Talk to a trusted mentor on how you can grow in those things. Uh, and then next week, or two weeks, like Ryan said, we don't have church here, uh, but uh, we are doing a special one-time message called Help, I'm a Parent. Now again, you know, roughly uh, you know, 20% of our church do not have kids. So why are we doing a parenting series for only 80% of people? Well, it's a one-time message, and our hope is we're going to give you some tips and tools that you can invest in kids, whether or not you're parents. I think all of us have nieces, nephews, adopted nieces, nephews, grandkids, just relationships with others that we can invest in. And it's hard. We need some help. So we're going to talk about that next week. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite the band to come up and lead us in one final song. God, thank you that you are here with us in this place. God, thank you that you created us to have a relationship with you. You designed us to have intimacy with you and others. And God, our desire is to be known for who we truly are. So God, I pray. If there's anyone in this room right now who doesn't have a relationship with you, God, that you would just nudge them to make that decision. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And so today, if you want to make that decision just to start a relationship with God, all you have to do is pray the simple prayer. And it's not the whole conversation you need to have with God, but it's the start. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. You can just pray that today quietly to yourself. Just, Jesus, I give you my life. And God will welcome you into his family. But maybe there's some of us today as well who are just feeling some separation from God or from others. We felt the need to hide and not confide. We've, we've had some secrecy. And I want to just give us a chance just to repent, to bring those things to God, just the, 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 the places we've been hiding maybe. And I want us all to know that God is continually pursuing us, reaching out to us. And that Jesus' nakedness can be our covering for our sin and our shame. 
So God, I just, I just wanna pray. I wanna confess the ways that I have not lived up to your perfect standards. God, each and every one of us have made mistakes. So God, we confess of those places where we have not lined up perfectly. And God, now we just want to receive your forgiveness, your covering, so that we can have that intimacy with you and others. And God, I just pray for each and every one of us, myself, those in the room. God, if there's something that we need to confess to someone else, if, if we need to look into rehab for addictions or whatever it might be, God, that you would just give us that nudge to take that step of faith so that we can live the kind of life that you designed for us to live, to be fully known and fully loved and fully accepted. In your name we pray, amen. We're gonna receive an offering here in just uh, about a minute, but if you made that decision to follow Jesus, I'd love to follow up with you. Uh, on your program, as, as my cell phone number, you can just text the word believe. I'd love to follow up with you. Uh, we wanna help you get connected, take your next step. Uh, you can give online uh, at mymosaicchurch.com. Uh, you can also just give uh, right now as the ushers come down. Um, but let's stand and we're gonna go out here singing one more time just about God's love, his grace, and how good he is. May you know that God doesn't just love you. God so loved you that he gave his one only son so you could have an intimate relationship with him. Let's receive the offering and go out of her singing. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic Tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.